Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where you cannot trust a 19th century scientist to be even remotely correct. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Yep, I'm sure the hysteria is making you say that. Old-timey men were always right. Always. I can't even get it out of my mouth without sounding <laughs> just stupidly star- sarcastic. Yeah. Um. I. Yeah. Man. Okay. So I, I have been alluding to this to Sarah in conversation for a while. Um. This was originally. You could have at any time chosen to do a different topic. <laughs> I could have, but it was the principle of the matter. Um. This was originally going to be uh things I googled when I was stoned episode, and then. Because I was thinking about, like, prehistoric men and how I didn't, or women, prehistoric individuals. I don't think they had a concept of gender. Anyway, so I I started thinking about that and how I didn't know a lot about it. And then I was like, okay, we'll look into cavemen. Like, that's, you know, that's a couple evolutions back. And then I found out that, A, cavemen weren't, like, a thing. I mean, people lived in caves, but cavemen weren't a thing. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do just ancient man, like prehistoric man. And then I found out that there were multiple varieties of ancient men, which blew my fucking mind and like I couldn't handle it. (laughs) Because conceptualizing hundreds of thousands of years ago and like multiple different kinds of like homo basically was too much. Um, So I had to narrow it down. That's fair. It is, to be blunt, a very... uh for the word literally just flew out of my head uh broad topic yeah yes yeah there were a lot of different variations on the same tune just wandering around the world uh in the bcs and i don't think i quite realized that like in my brain it was a very linear like monkey sasquatch (laughs) caveman normal human yes that sounds right but that's not how it worked because it's as it turns out neanderthals which is what we're going to be talking about. It is pronounced like that. I'm probably going to fuck it up. But the TH is a T, and I'll explain why later. Uh, it has to do with German, actually. Ah, that'll do it. Neanderthals were just fucking walking around at the same time as what is now modern man. Like, they are not the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say, we also didn't descend directly from Neanderthals, correct? We didn't descend from Neanderthals. At, well, if you're European, you might have a little bit, but they are yeah. not related to what eventually became modern man. Yeah, it wasn't like a linear, yeah, like he said, not a linear thing where like one led to the other. It was concurrent. Like a web. It, it's like a Marvel timeline of <laughs> so, if human beings are the six ones. <laughs> okay, so when you think of Neanderthal, Sarah, what, what what pops into your head? The Geico caveman. Okay, that's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> it was nothing if not effective marketing. Yes. You would not believe how often they came up in the reading. <laughs> An upsetting amount. <laughs> and yet the crudes were nowhere to be seen in the research, which I have not seen that movie, but I like feel like I want to now more. Um, so yeah, when you think of Neanderthal, you think of a, a caveman. Uh, simple, unevolved, hitting stuff with clubs, amazed by fire, the whole yes. deal. Only... None of that's true. <laughs> I mean, they were unevolved, but not 
in a bad way. They were just less evolved than like we are because they lived hundreds of thousands of years ago. So right, yeah. I'm not gonna say this doesn't surprise me because it does surprise me a little bit. I don't know a lot about the subject either, but like it just it feels par for the course that we would have simplified it into something like cavemen. Yes. So, like, that idea is not true. It's an idea that was presented in the 18th and 19th and... No. So, it's an idea that was presented in the 19th and 20th centuries by scientists who did not know what the fuck they were talking about yet. And that concept just stuck for a long time. But you're a white man, so all you need to do is just say it with confidence. And that's that's fact. Here we are, an episode about Neanderthals. Um, And together with an Asian... Uh, ancient people known as Denisovans, uh, Neanderthals are our closest ancient human relatives without actually being Homo sapiens. Cool. Scientific uh, evidence suggests that our two species, Homo sapiens and Neanderthals, shared a common ancestor, which I will touch on later. My the most helpful source was an article from the uh, British Natural History Museum called "Who Were the Neanderthals?" That's the one that made everything just kind of fall into place. Because I'm pretty sure it was written for children. Those are the best sources. Um, Also, an article on History.com, a site called Ancient History Lists, and uh, the Smithsonian Institute, as well as a Nat Geo short doc that you can find on YouTube called Neanderthals 101. Very handy. Neanderthals for dummies, basically. It just kind of... I, I don't know if it's just like my ADHD-ass brain that, like, couldn't handle it, or if that's a normal thing. But if you're confused about the concept of ancient, like, prehistoric peoples, um, and your only reference is Clan of the Cave Bear or the Geico Cavemen, it will help. (laughs) Which, looking back on it, Clan of the Cave Bear? Surprisingly accurate, sort of. Hmm. Yeah. Not the Daryl Hannah movie. Read the fucking book. I don't know why I decided to be snobby about that. (laughs) Okay. So the good news is that we know more about Neanderthals than we do about any other extinct human, thanks to the abundance of artifacts and skeletons that we have found. And a note on the whole, like, cave people concept. We have found a lot of shit in caves that belong to archaic humans and even more modern humans, um, because they did live in caves. But also, caves offer very good protection from the elements. That was gonna be my guess, was like, that's the stuff that was preserved was the stuff that was in caves. Yes. So caves were used, you know, more extensively, but it just happens that Europe has a lot of caves and they are good at protecting things from the elements. So that's why there are skeletons and artifacts and drawings in those caves, because time hasn't ravaged them as much as it would if it was just like out in the fucking forest. Yeah. We're going to start at the the end, kind of, with the first time a Neanderthal skeleton popped up in modern history. It was 1829 in Belgium, and a naturalist named Philippe Charles Schmerling found part of a child's skull. Upsetting. Now, unfortunately, Phil thought it was a modern human skull since there wasn't really any reason for him to think otherwise. Great. That bodes well. Yeah. So, but I mean, besides the skull in the cave that he was rooting around in in Belgium, he found stone tools and other such accoutrements. So it made sense to him that an old ass human lived in that cave. And then basically the same thing happened at a dig site in, Gibral- in Gibraltar in 1848 with a different skull. Um, they found a skull. They were like, ah, human, and then just kind of left it. You say Neanderthal skulls, I assume, are just close enough. Like, I'm sure if you are learned in the subject, there are subtle differences that you could catch on to. But I, especially when 
these are not things that have or that we have no knowledge of could easily be mistaken for like a human skull. Yeah, and I think at this point in history, they kind of thought that the same way that my dumb brain did, because uh, Darwin was just bursting onto the scene. Right. So, like, evolution as a concept not really permeating the public consciousness quite yet. Yeah, yeah. So they saw a skull that didn't look animal, and they were like, oh, it's a fucked up human. Boy, this guy had weird teeth anyway. Yeah. So then, in 1856, quarry workers cutting limestone in Feldhofer Cave in Neanderthal, a small valley of the Dussel River near the German city of Dusseldorf. Ah. Huh. It's a place. Interesting. Yes. Uh, these quarry workers uncovered a cranium, thigh bones, a right arm, a left humerus, two forearm bones, a hip bone, part of a right shoulder blade, and pieces of ribs that looked very human. And it was Sasquatch, the end. Yes. So a, a teacher, it didn't specify what grade, uh, a teacher named Johann Karl Fulrat finally realized that these bones, which belonged to at least three different people, weren't quite the same as those of what we know as a homo sapien. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fulrat handed the find over to German anthropologist Hermann Schlafhausen. I love German. Uh, he handed those over f- for him to study in 1857. And he took some cues from Charles Darwin um, and Darwin's classic banger of a book on the origin of species <laughs> and argued that the bones represented an ancient modern human variant. Uh, Schaffhausen believed that humans linear- linearly progressed from savage to civilized. So, in an 1857 paper, Schaffhausen posited that the Neanderthal fossils belong to a, quote, savage and barbarous race of ancient human, unquote. So, like, right off the bat, we're working off the assumption that these are, like, proto-humans. Yes. And we're working off the assumption that because they were less physically evolved than us, that they were monsters. Right. Of course. Yeah. So seven years later, Irish geologist William King concluded that the Neanderthal fossil was not human and that it belonged to a a separate species that he named Homo neanderthalensis. Very creative with the name. Yes. Uh, Well, it means um, from the Valley of Neanderthal, which is where they found it. There were some weird German spelling rules that changed in the 1900s. So the original spelling of Neanderthal Valley lost the H that came after the T and fucked us all up because the name of the species <laughs> didn't change spelling. So the the region dropped the H, but the... But the name n- stayed. The name Neanderthal just stayed. Yep. Yes. Very cool. No wonder everyone's confused. Yeah, about just, everything all the well, time. Well, I guess it was it wasn't just the valley that dropped the H. There was like a big revolution in spelling. It's like the whole Grimm brothers thing like there's some English or German language stuff that I just can't. Yeah, like you said, like the language itself changed. Yeah. Anyway, that's why it's pronounced Neanderthal and that's why they're called Neanderthals because they found the first well, they found the biggest collection first in Neanderthal Valley near Dusseldorf, which is my favorite German city to say the name of. Dusseldorf, it is a good name. Our man Hermes' uh, declaration that Neanderthals were savages was the first mistake. But in his defense, we didn't really have a lot of information to work with, and the ape to modern human evolution was the best theory, so obviously there's going to be some, like, middle ground. Right. The issue is that the idea stuck despite being proven otherwise multiple times in many different ways. And then there was also a slightly smaller setback caused by a paleontologist named Rudolf Virchow, 
uh, who argued that a new species shouldn't be based on one find, and then in 1872 proceeded to decide for everybody that Neanderthal characteristics were evidence of senility, disease, and malformation instead of belonging to a different species. I mean, he's not wrong in that maybe we should gather more evidence before declaring an entirely new species of thing, but to then just go ahead and claim that actually you have it right and it's this completely other thing is basically you're just doing the same thing in the opposite direction. Yes. This declaration of Rudolph's stalled Neanderthal research until the end of the century. Well, thanks a lot, Dick. But people found more remains, and Neanderthals were recognized as legitimate species eventually. Obviously. Um, And now we're going to see how good my French is. Oh, yay. So the most influential specimen... Specimen? My English isn't even good. (laughs) Words in general are very hard. Good thing we have a podcast. We're so good at talking. (laughs) The most influential specimen, fuck, was uh, La Chapelle à... I can't remember how you pronounce saint in French. (laughs) The saint's hat. Chapelle. Chapelle. It's the comedian of saints. (laughs) Um, no, uh, La Chapelle au Saint was a uh, Aryan France, but the name of the specimen was subtitled The Old Man. So, uh, French paleontologist Marceline Boulle established paleontology as a science. Yay! Good for her. Him. Oh, kind of like a very feminine name. Yeah, Marceline does sound like a very girly name, but I'm pretty sure I mean, it's a- also, yeah, like names change. Yeah. Anyway, he established paleontology as science, uh, detailing the specimen, but reconstructing him as a slouching ape-like creature and only remotely related to modern humans. I would love to know how much evidence he had of that that wasn't just him making assumptions. Uh, well, we'll, we'll get into it. He might have been, like, 45% justified. Um, so the 1912, and this is in uh, heavy quotation marks, discovery of Piltdown <laughs> Man which appeared even more similar to modern humans than Neanderthals, was to use this evidence that multiple different and unrelated branches of primitive humans existed and supported Boole's idea that Neanderthals were basically an evolutionary dead end. He also fueled the pop- popular image of Neanderthals as uh, barbarians that slouched, wielded clubs, that primitive shit. Mm-hmm. Um, an image that stuck around thanks to science fiction authors like H.G. Wells and what have you. Again, that's not entirely their fault. Fair enough, yeah. It's the conviction to which the human species has stuck to that. <laughs> That's the problem. So it turned out that the Piltdown Man was a hoax. Lovely. And scientists took a harder look at the old man from France. So the old man actually had osteoarthritis, which caused slouching in life. And now there's a whole new thing we were wrong about. I mean, there's your, there's your danger in basing your entire theory off of one find. Here's the issue is that while the Piltdown Man was a hoax and the old man had arthritis, they weren't all wrong. There were multiple branches of, Mm -hmm. you know, homo evolution wandering around, and Neanderthals were kind of an evolutionary dead end. It doesn't make it right. It just makes them vaguely correct. (laughs) But the, like, the slouching club-carrying thing. That was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So ideas such as Neanderthal behavior, intelligence, and culture were being discussed in the, you know, early to mid-1900s, and a more human-like image of them emerged. And in 1939, American anthropologist Carlton Kuhn reconstructed a Neanderthal in a modern business suit and a hat to emphasize that they would more or less be indistinguishable from modern humans if they had survived into the present. 
That sounds delightful. However, Boole's image lived on until about the 60s when we started to depict them as more modern humans, like in the Flintstones. Oh, I was going to say, the Geico cavemen don't have legs that long. Yeah, we still have kind of outdated caveman ideas. I'm looking at you, Encino Man. I'm looking at you, ghosts. I love you. You're not right. Uh, Well, Brendan Fraser was a more sophisticated... Anyways, still haven't seen all of Encino Man, so I guess I can't talk. Um, Okay, we now have the base layer of knowledge of how we, as modern humans, have interacted with Neanderthals and been both wrong and right about things occasionally. (laughs) Mostly wrong. So now, 20 minutes into recording, we're going to actually talk about how Neanderthals lived, their origins, their lifestyle, their culture, the guesses that we have made about those things. And at least now we're confident enough to say that they are guesses. Yes. That was another thing that made this very difficult, is that a lot of people have very strong opinions on things, but in the end, we don't fucking know. Yeah, there's really only so much that you can, like, yeah. You can have theories, for sure. And you can have evidence supporting those theories, but it's really hard to definitively say one way or the other. Yeah, the thing... This far back in time that we're talking about. The thing with prehistory... Um, the things that can't be like carbon dated and like traced back to certain places is that we can take context, but at the end of it, like we don't, we don't know. There's too much missing information, and we also don't know how much we are missing. Yeah, if we don't know what we don't know, etc. Getting way too conceptual already. Well, basically, like anthropology is a lot like the whose line is it anyway game props. Where <laughs> you could be faced with something, and basically your job is to come up with as many different uses for this thing as possible, and then what they don't show is that Ryan and Colin actually have to pick one use for it based on the context of the item later. The analogy fell apart, but you see, it started I mean. off strong. It started strong. <laughs> so yes, uh, scientists estimate that humans, uh, Homo sapiens. And Neanderthals shared a common ancestor that lived 800,000 years ago in Africa. Uh, fossil, I know. Uh, fossil evidence suggests that a Neanderthal ancestor may have traveled out of Africa and into Europe and Asia. And there, that Neanderthal ancestor evolved into Homer. Homer. Christ. Homer Simpson. <laughs> yes. Uh, Homo Neanderthalensis. Uh, some 400,000 to 500,000 years ago. Uh, the human ancestor the Homo sapien, remained in Africa, evolving into us, Homo sapiens. So that's right. All modern humans originated out of Africa. Take that, racists. That's what I was thinking. My coworker, who was an anthropology major, uh, taught me how to pronounce this today, but in my head, I pronounce it a different way. They're like, okay. So it's largely thought that Homo heidelbergensis was the last common ancestor of Neanderthals, Denisovans, and modern humans before populations became isolated in Europe, Asia, and Africa, respectively. Nope. Yeah. Denisovans were Asian. I'm thinking, like, similar to Darwin and, like, the evolution origin of the species things. Like, things can have a common ancestor, but then they move to different places and they have different... They separately evolve into different species. Yeah, it's like... Due to the separation. Yeah, it's like there are bears everywhere, but they're they're still bears, but like there's a polar bear and there's a grizzly bear. Like they evolved different traits to handle right. where they were. To so adapt you get, to different Yeah, that's how you climates get and environments. Yeah. Yeah, so we did have a common ancestor 
but it it branched off into different varietals, if you will. Um, so like that, this the middle ground between leaving Africa and like becoming Neanderthals is where my ADHD kicks in and like my eyes glaze over. I still it's very difficult to process because it's such a long period of time and just nature is amazing. <laughs> so just suffice it to know, there was one type of Homo erectus bouncing around Africa. A delegation of them headed towards Europe and other parts of Eastern Asia and evolved into Neanderthals as we know them over the course of a long period of time. Hundreds and thousands of years. Yes. Uh, Judging from fossil evidence um, from a site in northern Spain and a site in Kent, England, the Neanderthal lineage was already very well established in Europe 400,000 years ago. The species ranged widely in the Eurasia area, from Portugal and Wales in the west, across the Altai Mountains of Siberia in the east. Like, they covered a pretty pretty That's big That's a lot of land, yeah. Uh, Neanderthal populations were very adaptable, living in cold uh, steppe climates, which is like big grassy plains in Europe. Like, they're, I can't, I haven't been to Europe, but it's the opposite of a forest. There are no trees there. Yes, no trees, just grass, very cold. Um, so they lived in those environments in England and Siberia about 60,000 years ago, and in warm, temperate woodlands in Spain and Italy about 120,000 years ago. Um, so classic Neanderthals, which is what I'm going to refer to them to a couple <laughs> times, like, you know, the flavor we know and love. Um, they were recorded in Western, Central, Eastern, and Mediterranean Europe, so Europe. Not Northern Europe, though. Hmm. Yeah, the Swedes are a, a thing of their own. Um, as well as Southwest, Central, and Northern Asia up to Siberia. So, like we said, big, yeah. big range. Of course, the, the climate and the landscape look completely different 400,000 years ago, which is also something I struggle with because it's very scary to think about. So, pre and early Neanderthals, on the other hand, so like the first contact, the star fleet of Neanderthals from Africa, if you will. Um, only seem to have continuously occupied France, Spain, and Italy, although some appear to have moved out of this kind of like core area to form temporary settlements uh, east or eastward without actually leaving Europe. So nonetheless, southwestern France actually has the highest density of sites for pre-early and classic Neanderthals. I think I've heard of that before. They have like a lot of like, they're very famous for like their cave drawings. Yeah. And things I of that nature. Which is now where you would picture that sort of thing. But, I mean, I don't know no. why. Just, you know, you think of France and you think churches yeah. and wine. Yeah, when I think of, of cave drawings, like, I don't think I had a good concept of, like, where that was in the now. I think I associated it more with, like, northern Canada and, like, Alaska. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I just watched Brother Bear too many times. Like, that was a good touchstone for me. I think I kind of always just assumed it was in the U.S. and that for no other reason than being from the U.S. and everything is so U.S.-centric. I did try to look into the first humans in what is now North America, and the scientific debate about when we got here, or not we, uh, when people native to the U.S. got here is so heavily contested that I gave up. That's probably for the best. Because I, I, we had, like, an idea of what happened, and then someone found something on the coast and was like, how about this? And then everyone just started yelling at each other. <laughs> and then to say, because the theory, uh, not to completely derail you, but of course, the theory like I always heard growing up is, like, you know, the land bridge across Russia into mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. North America, and that's how people got to North America. But, yeah. 
it doesn't surprise me that like new information has come to light in recent years that that may not be entirely 100% correct. Yeah, maybe someday I'll get stupid and, and look into it again. But it's it's a very heavily debated topic. Um, yeah. It's very difficult to determine whether Neanderthals had a spoken language, um, as the tissue associated with the voice box obviously doesn't preserve very well. Right. Like, how would you even begin to know that? Yeah. That's where my brain starts to hurt. Well, however, they did have a very similar vocal anatomy and ear bones to modern humans. At least within, like, with, within the skeletal structure, you're with, Within the skeletal structure. So it's yeah. entirely possible that they did have a language, and the complexity of their social lives also suggested that they might have been able to talk to each other, although their language may have been simpler than ours. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, they spoke in grunts and stuff, like you kind of imagine, but it's entirely possible um, that they did have a spoken language, or I have heard the theory that they had a, a version of sign language. Oh, interesting. Appearance-wise, which is the thing that we can, about Neanderthals, that we can, like, say with some level of definity because of um, genetic testing and uh, reconstruction. So appearance-wise, Neanderthals actually had a lot in common with modern humans, but they also had a number of physiological differences that better suited them for their way of life in prehistoric Europe. Um, They had very long, low skulls compared to the more rounded skulls of of our people, um, with a characteristic prominent brow ridge above their eyes so yeah the heavy the heavy brow typical caveman yeah, yeah stereotypical to, to shield thing. you from the sun when you were hunting that's not a joke that's a theory um so the central part of their face protruded forward and was dominated by a very big wide nose and some scientists think that this nasal structure may have been an adaptation to live in colder drier environments since the shape of the nose would have made it easier to warm the air as they inhaled, as well as introduce moisture. Interesting. Yeah, like the, the nasal cavity was bigger, so there was more room for it to warm up before it went wherever air goes after it leaves your nose. As someone who's constantly stuffed up the minute like the <laughs> yeah, weather changes, like, that you- I kind of wish that was still <laughs> Man, I would love for dry air to not be an issue for me. Um, so the lower part of the face ha- featured a relatively large jaw. It was once theorized that they had a very forceful bite because of their large jaw and the wearing patterns on their front teeth. Uh, However, it's also possible that the increased wear on the front teeth compared to the back teeth probably stems from repetitive use because they used to use their teeth, they think, as basically a third hand when they were hunting. (laughs) They didn't have pockets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Clothes hadn't been invented yet, so. Uh, Well, actually, pockets just hadn't been invented. Um, Fair. So unlike modern humans, Neanderthals didn't have much of a chin to go with the large jaw. If you Google a picture of a Neanderthal, it'll make sense. I know I'm not painting like the best word picture. This is this is why the Instagram slideshow exists. Yeah, I I do need to include that picture that I texted you several days ago because it's <laughs> it just came up in my Google image. It's my favorite. It just looks so thoughtful, lovely. Thoughtful. It's like he's getting a school picture taken. <laughs> I don't know why they gave him that weird haircut, but here we are. Moving moving down from the, the head. <laughs> uh, Neanderthals had strong muscular bodies and wide hips and shoulders. Um, adults grew to uh, five foot to five foot seven and weighed between 140 and 180 pounds, roughly. Um, early Neanderthals were taller on average than the later ones, but their weight was about the same, implying that we, they just kind of like squished yeah. down. Yeah. 
So their short, stocky physiques were suited to the colder environments. Um, The bulky trunk, in addition to their short lower leg and lower arm bones, gave Neanderthals proportions that would have minimized the surface area of their skin, presumably to conserve heat in what were predominantly cold conditions um, during what was an ice age, basically. Uh, Some researchers argue that this physique also gave the Neanderthals greater power in their arms and legs for close-range ambushes during hunting. The, The phrase, some scientists believe, or there are theories, will come up in pretty much every segment. I was going to say, you can probably just stop saying it and have everyone just (laughs) mentally append it to the beginning of every sentence you say. I'm just going to start every paragraph with maybe. I don't think any of that was like shockingly new information to you guys, since we've mostly grown up with more accurate depictions of how Neanderthals looked. That's the one thing that we have managed to, to like spread well. But now we're going to look at some of the aspects of how they actually lived, which is where I think most of the common misconceptions lie. It's also the thing that we have the least information about. Right. And also the area where it's just theories upon theories upon theory. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have iPhones, but they weren't complete fucking idiots. Like, there's a (laughs) middle ground. So the total population of Neanderthals remained low throughout their entire existence uh, for a number of reasons. Um, Inbreeding and low fertility rates being among the highest ones. Uh, But also Neanderthals lived in, frankly, high-stress environments with high trauma rates. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you're kind of living right on the edge. Gotta hunt for your food, and not an easy time to be alive, I imagine. No, and about 80% died before the age of 40. Woof. Yes. Despite the low population, there's evidence of regional cultures and uh, communication between communities. Uh, they may have frequented caves and moved between them seasonally. So this is the they had a winter cave and then the right. summer cave. You gotta kind of not hibernate necessarily, but you hunker down a bit for the winter and then you. It also was, um, and we'll talk about their their diet uh, extensively later. Um, but they also moved uh, locations based on like where the good food sources were. Yeah, because it's this is like pre civilization, so you kind of have to keep moving around to yeah. follow follow the food. Yeah, but they did they did go back to to certain places like you know there's a cave over here but the mushrooms don't grow there during the mm-hmm. fall so you spend the fall in your other cave and then you come back to the winter cave where like yeah. berries are. Yeah. Which is to say there's also like no agriculture at this time you are foraging. As far as I know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is it is a hunter gatherer society. Um it has been suggested that due to small groups and the difficulty of hunting large game that there was no uh gender division of labor as seen in in modern hunter-gatherer societies, which means that men, women, and children all had to be involved in hunting instead of men hunting with women and children foraging. Mm -hmm. Um, However, tooth wear patterns in Neanderthal men and women suggest that they commonly use their teeth for carrying items, like I said, but men exhibit more wear on the upper teeth and women on the lower, suggesting some cultural difference in tasks okay. but we don't know what difference yeah like who the hell even knows what would cause i have a, a dumbass theory um like men would would hold like their spears and, and shit so be more like evenly but like maybe women made baskets or something that like put more weight on the lower jaw yeah i'm thinking of something like hanging from the mouth versus something like being gripped in the mouth yeah yeah Uh, So what they ate varied depending on the parts of Europe that they were settled in. Um, Initially, it was thought that they were scavengers, which is fucking wild. Um, But more recent evidence has pointed towards them being apex predators. 
And the article specifically said apex predators, which I thought was pretty badass. <laughs> uh, they appeared to have eaten predominantly what was abundant in their immediate surroundings, which, you know, makes sense. You're not going to hop down to the Kroger. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're going to eat what the land gives you. No, it's actually just another Neanderthal named Kroger <laughs> who operates out of a cave in the forest. Now, there's a question, Emily. Did they have names? I don't know. Uh, to be fair, I don't think most scientists know either. No one knows. Except them. So compared to early humans living in tropical Africa with more abundant edible plant matter available year-round, the number of plant foods Neanderthals could eat would have dropped significantly during the winter in the colder climates, forcing Neanderthals to exploit other food options, like meat, more heavily. And there's evidence that Neanderthals were specialized seasonal hunters. Uh, eating animals that were available at the time. So reindeer in the winter, red deer in the summer, mammoths in the mammoth season. I, I too, associate mammoths with w mammoths with winter, but that could just be like, I don't know. Uh, an ice age thing? <laughs> yeah. I, too, associate Ray Romano with winter. <laughs> Scientists have evidence of Neanderthal hunting from uncovering sharp wooden spears and large amounts of big game animal remains were found to have been hunted and butchered, probably by Neanderthals. Uh, when they lived in coastal areas, they appeared to also take advantage of marine resources, such as mollusks, seals, dolphins, and fish. Um, chemical analysis of bones have shown that the average Neanderthal's diet consisted of mostly meat. Um, scientists have also found plaque on the remains of molar teeth containing starch grains, which is evidence that they did also eat plants. So this is how we find things out for sure. Okay. This makes sense. Uh, Neanderthals from Cueva del Cidron, Spain, based um, on dental tartar findings, likely had a meatless diet of mushrooms, pine nuts, and moss, uh, indicating that they were forest foragers. That's interesting. I was just going to say, it makes sense to me that they would be primarily meat-based, if only because like that's a quick and easy way to get like a lot of calories and protein and like nutrients. Yes. Whereas like you need to probably eat a lot more forageables to gain the same amount of energy. Yeah. And I don't um, go into it uh, a ton, but during the winter, um, like fatty meat is hard to find because it's during the winter and you mostly find like rabbits and stuff, um, which meant that like eating the, the brains and um, even the stomach contents of different animals provided them with, like, the fats that they needed to survive. Um, so remnants from Amud Cave in Israel indicate that those Neanderthals had diets of figs, palm fruits, various grains and grasses, um, and several bone traumas in the leg joints suggest habitual squatting, which could have been done while gathering food. Habitual squatting is a weird phrase. <laughs> And then dental tartar from remains in a Belgian site indicate that the inhabitants there ate a meat-heavy diet that included the cutest-sounding animal, the woolly rhinoceros, Aww. and mouflon sheep, Aww. Um, while also regularly consuming mushrooms. Okay, gotta Google this. Woolly rhinoceros. Aww, I mean, it's pretty cute. I mean, it's just a fluffy rhinoceros. Uh, what was the other one? Mouflon sheep? Um, mouflon. So M-O-U-F-L-O-N. Oh, those are like just a thing. Yeah. That's not like an extinct animal. No, they, they have big horns and yes. they look like sheep goats, basically. They're very cute. Neanderthal fecal matter from El Salt, Spain, dated to about 50,000 years ago, 
which is the oldest human fecal matter remains recorded. If that's trivia that you find useful. (laughs) (laughs) What a find. (laughs) You know that that was a champagne day at that archaeological dig. (laughs) I'm sure. Because, like, how often do you come upon, like, organic matter like that that's, like, actually preserved? Yeah. I think think the fossilized version is called coprolite. Um, Thanks, Animal Crossing. (laughs) That's one of the fossils that you can give to Lathers for the museum. You get just a hunk of poop. Uh, anyway, so those remains from Spain indicated that they also ate meat and plants. So what we're, we're getting here is a um, balanced diet. Omnivores. Yeah. Uh, so evidence of cooked plants, and this hmm. one is important, mostly legumes and occasionally acorns were discovered in Kabara Cave in Israel, um, with its inhabitants possibly gathering plants in spring and fall and hunting in all seasons except fall. No explanation on why. Um, although the cave was probably abandoned in late summer to early fall. So they might have just moved. And who knows? It also makes sense to me. Like, those are very uh, tough things to digest, I'm sure. Like, you would be motivated to find a way to soften those. Yeah, you can soak acorns in water and then grind them up. But I I don't really know if that's something that they had figured out. Mm -hmm. In a site in Iraq, um, Neanderthals collected plants with various harvest seasons, indicating that they scheduled returns to the area to harvest certain plants and that they had a more complex food gathering behavior. For both meat and plants. So, like, they knew when stuff was in season. Yeah, and they had some kind of concept of, like, a calendar, essentially. Even if it's not, like, dates, you know, like, the sun is in this position. Yeah, when the leaves start turning this color, then that means that this is in season. Yeah. And since this is after Nunified, and it would be remiss not to mention uh, cannibalism. Of course. I know what kind of show this is. (laughs) So there are several instances of Neanderthals practicing cannibalism. So remains of five suspected cannibalism victims were discovered in Grotte de Goyer, Belgium. Uh, and there's evidence that the upper limbs were disarticulated, the lower limbs defleshed, and also smashed, possibly to get at the bone marrow. Gruesome. Uh, just wait. The chest cavity disemboweled and the jaw dismembered. Gross. Also evidence that the butchers used some of the bones to retouch their tools. Huh resourceful you use every part of the the neanderthal (laughs) um the processing of neanderthal meat at grotte de goyer is similar to how they processed horse and reindeer and about 35 percent of the remains at marillac de franc franc wow i could feel that in my nose uh anyway marillac de franc france shows signs of being butchered and the presence of digested teeth indicates that the bodies were abandoned and eaten by scavengers likely hyenas, which were in France at the time. Interesting. I don't think they were like Whoopi Goldberg hyenas, but... (laughs) Some early, yeah, early hyenas. Um, So these cannibalistic tendencies have been explained as either ritual defleshing, pre-burial defleshing to prevent scavengers or smell, um, an act of war, or simply for food. So pretty much all of the reasons that cannibalism exists except for them being perverts, which we haven't ruled that out. (laughs) Maybe they were all perverts. You never know. Neanderthals could have all been massive perverts. Who knows? But due to a small number of cases and the high number of cut marks seen on the individuals as compared to animals, cannibalism probably wasn't that common of a practice. May have only been done in times of extreme food shortages, which we've done in modern times. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that makes more sense to me because that just generally is a reason why we would resort to that like 
Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard about Soviet Russia a couple decades ago, but it's more recent than you'd like to think. Oh, yeah. It's also very sad. Um, and now I'm going to try to explain tools. <sighs> don't worry. There's not... Uh, the lever and the pulley. Yes. Um, so yes, the tools. Um, the first bit is going to be very technical, and it's going to sound like I barely know what I'm talking about, because I don't. And uh, then we're just going to have a fun natural history museum bit about all the cool stuff that they did. So, um, so tools produced by middle Paleolithic humans in Eurasia, both Neanderthals and early modern humans, are known as Mousterian. Um, well, I'm sure you pictured a little Neanderthal mouse. It's actually named after Les Moustiers, a site in France that consists of two rock shelters and is known for a complete Neanderthal skeleton that was discovered in 1908. Mm, cool. So these tools were often made with hammers, uh, made of materials like bone, antler, and wood, rather than hard hammers like stone. Uh, so they routinely made stone implements, though, but they like hammered away at them with the bones and the antlers to get the stone in the right shape. Okay. So their tools consisted of stone flakes and task-specific hand axes, many of which were sharp. So, like, sharpened pieces of rock that you hold in your hand to do shit. They weren't great tools, but they were tools. They got the job done. Yeah, the the stone flake, I had to read the article, like, four times, but basically is that um, flint is a stone that kind of has striations in it, so if you hit it in the right spot, it will chip off in, like, more sheet-like ways. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like pebbles so it, it's good for sharpening because it's easy to sharpen so uh, they use tools for activities like hunting and sewing um left right arm asymmetry in studies indicate that they hunted with thrusting rather than throwing their spears which allowed them to kill large animals from a safe distance with more accuracy mm -hmm. neanderthal bones also have high frequencies of fractures which are similar to injuries seen in professional rodeo riders oh jesus who regularly interact with large, dangerous animals. I was going to say, so these these guys are being, like, tossed around. Yeah, you're getting the shit kicked out of you by a mammoth. Ow. Yeah. Scientists have also found scrapers and awls, larger stone or bone versions of sewing needles or tools made to pierce leather. That's what an awl is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, associated with animal bones at Neanderthal sites. And they probably would have used a scraper to first clean the animal hide and then use the awl to poke holes in it and finally use strips of animal tissue uh, to lace together loose-fitting garments. Okay. They were the first early humans to wear clothing, but only modern humans um, have shown evidence of manufacturing, like, sewing needles to sew tighter-fitting clothing. So a lot of ponchos and tunics with Neanderthals. Yeah, kind of just, like, big... I pictured just, like, big blankets. Yeah. Uh, Jinkos and big sweatshirts. <laughs> Wearable Snuggies. Yeah, because you, you kind of get the that in, like, some depictions where it's just kind of a sheet that's, you know. Yeah, enough to give, like, some protection without being, like, fitted. And yeah, we didn't really figure out sewing for a while. Yeah, fair. It's complicated. Many Mousterian sites have shown evidence of fire being used for some exp uh, extended periods of time, though it is unclear whether Neanderthals were capable of starting fire or scavenged from wildfires. And unless wildfires were super frequent... I think they figured it out. I mean, that's fair. But, like, also, if they're, like, in, like, what, grasslands and stuff, mm -hmm, it could mm -hmm. be, like, wildfires are fairly common. Yeah. Um, in a number of caves, evidence of hearths um, have been detected. And okay. That's 
That's uh, that I would say is probably stronger evidence. Yeah. Um, and it's likely that Neanderthals considered air circulation when making the hearths, as the lack of proper ventilation can render a cave uninhabitable in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, They were also capable of zoning areas for specific activities, such as butchering hearths and wood storage. (laughs) A 44,000-year-old site in Moldova, um, Ukraine, contained evidence of a 23-foot by 33-foot ring oval-shaped dwelling made out of mammoth bones meant for long-term habitation by several Neanderthals, which would have taken a long-ass time to build. Yeah, um, Jesus. Yeah, and it appears to have contained hearths, cooking areas, a flint workshop, traces of woodworking. That's all fairly sophisticated stuff. Yeah. And like even more so like a permanent settlement almost. Maybe not permanent, but like long term. Yeah. Yeah. So not only did they seem to have a basic grasp on construction, their knowledge of medicine was also way more advanced than we expected, hmm. which our expectations were not high. But yeah. Um, Well-healed fractures on recovered bones indicate the setting of splints, and individuals with severe head and rib traumas indicate that they had some method of dressing major wounds, such as bandages made from animal skin. Hmm. Uh, In general, they appear to have avoided severe infections, indicating good long-term treatment of wounds like that. Um, And their knowledge of medicinal plants was comparable to that of not modern humans like 2022 modern humans, but um, homo sapiens that were also Hmm. around. At a site in Spain, they found evidence of a Neanderthal that seemed to have been medicating a dental abscess using poplar, which contains salicylic acid, which is the active ingredient in aspirin. Oh, crazy. There were also traces of the antibiotic producing penicillium, which may have um, been used to treat in- infections. Thousands and thousands of years before the guy who discovered penicillin <laughs> accidentally Um, In Israel, plant remains, which have historically been used for medicinal properties in Israel, were found, including the common grapevine, pistachios of the Persian turpentine tree, and acorns. Hmm. So, after all of this basic living business, the next question, albeit briefly answered, um, did they make art? And the answer is... Important question. Dissatisfying at best. Uh, Little is known about Neanderthal culture and customs, though there's some evidence that they may have made symbolic or ornamental objects, created artwork, used fire, and intentionally buried their dead. But this is the part where it's just people arguing about what a stick they found in a cave means. So I'm guessing they don't have anything like along the lines of like early prehistoric cave drawings that they can tie back specifically to this. To, not to Neanderthals. Yeah. Um, but they have found like one of the, the it was brought up in several articles, was on a cave wall, they found a series of deep scratches that looked very intentional in like a hashtag symbol. So that may have been one of the first um, attempts at representational art. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Um, But they did make jewelry as far back as 130,000 years ago. That's insane. Yeah. And some of it was fashioned from eagle talons and honestly probably looked dope as hell. Yeah. They found pierced animal teeth and worked ivory. Um, in France. So we were decorating ourselves. Yeah. Way back in the day. Everyone wants to express themselves. And I'm sure it also like expresses like power and wealth or whatever. About it. Yeah. They also are thought to have used ochre, which is a uh, clay pigment, um, which is well documented from 60 to 45,000 years ago in Neanderthal sites. But the earliest example dating around 250,000 years ago. Jesus. These are just some big numbers you're throwing out every time you talk about years ago. 
Um, it has been theorized that they use this ochre as body paint, and analysis of pigments from a site in France indicate that they were applied to soft materials such as hide or human skin. Um, however, modern hunter-gatherers, in addition to body paint, also used ochre for medicine, for tanning animal hides, and as a food preservative, um, also as an insect repellent. Um, so its use as a decorative paint for Neanderthals is, of course, speculation at best. Right. There are plenty of practical uses for it. Yes, but containers apparently used for mixing ochre pigments were found in Romania, which could indicate modification of ochre solely for aesthetic purposes. Right. Because if, like, if you're modifying it, you care on some level about how it looks or functions. Yeah. If you're just using it straight out of the tin, then yeah. it's probably not important. Um, but yeah, art and religion are the two areas where it's kind of hard to pin anything down. Um, right. It's not like they had, they didn't have written language, so they couldn't write anything down. So we now have documentation of it. Yeah. For food and medicine and tools, there are tests that can be run to kind of determine what was going on. Um, but deciding if Neanderthals could think abstractly or had a form of primitive religion is a matter of seeing items at archaeological sites and just making a guess. Yeah. You're missing a lot of like the context that surrounds the artifacts that you find. and Yeah. And like they probably had customs that we couldn't even think of in our wildest dreams, like just weird mm -hmm. shit. But there is evidence that Neanderthals deliberately buried their dead and occasionally even marked their graves with offerings like flowers. Hmm. Um, so this may have been one of the reasons that Neanderthal fossil records are so rich compared to other earlier humans, because being buried increases your chance of becoming right. a fossil. Yeah, you're not being scavenged and being scattered. Yes, and that might also have been why they buried their dead, just common sense. Yeah. So, as you can tell, this is the point in my research where my brain started to decay slowly from <laughs> trying to force too much into it. So we're going to wrap it up by talking about what the fuck happened to Neanderthals, and also about how our ancestors hung out with them, to the point that a large number of people with European ancestry have a little bit of Neanderthal DNA. Oh, they hung out together, you say? They hung out. The most recent fossil and archaeological evidence of Neanderthals is from about 40,000 years ago in Europe. After that point, they seem to have gone physically extinct, although part of them lives on in the DNA of humans alive today. Mm -hmm. uh, Neanderthals lived alongside early modern humans for at least part of their existence, and we know now that some encounters were intimate, um, which means that some of us have inherited around 1-2% to 2 Neanderthal DNA. Huh. Crazy how that, like, still sticks around in, like, measurable amounts after so many thousands of years. Yeah, and this is where Clan of the Cave Bear comes in, because that's what that book is about. Not humans fucking Not other... doing it? I mean, I mean, it is, but, you know, it's a literally long story. It's a series. So we don't know for sure why Neanderthals went extinct. Um, one theory is that we, as in Homo sapiens, are the reason. Um, early modern humans started to arrive in Europe more than 40,000 years ago, and it's thought that there was too much competition for resources once that that happened. Um, so Neanderthals did not all become extinct at the same time. Their disappearance may have been staggered, suggesting that they were replaced by early modern humans as a result of local population extinctions rather than being, like, overrun. There wasn't a war. Yeah, we didn't wipe them all out, though that wouldn't surprise me, just knowing humans. But yeah, like, just generally, like, as we move into their habitats, we outcompete them. Yeah. And they die off in specific regions, and then, yeah. So ancient DNA uh, began to be recovered from fossils in 1997, and this has led to the reconstruction of several complete genomes, which is really fucking cool. 
Um, These indicate that Neanderthals ranging from Spain to Siberia were relatively low in numbers and diversity in their last 20,000 years, like even more than they were before. Um, The genome of one female individual from Siberia also shows signs of long-term inbreeding in her population, a further indication of low numbers and isolation. And their already low fertility rates could have dropped, and even a small decline in those numbers would have eventually led to uh, extinction. And lastly, rapid and dramatic climate change may have been another major factor (laughs) that contributed to extinction. Um, When severe changes in temperature happened rapidly, the plants and animals Neanderthals relied on were also affected. And faced with such conditions, only the most resourceful and adaptable could survive. And eventually that number dropped to zero. So that's Neanderthals. I'm tired. That was uh, very interesting, though. Like, that's a lot of new information I did not have. And there's so much that I didn't include. Like, we do know a lot, even if it is just speculation. Um, the food section, we know a lot about that, which was very weird to me. Interesting. And is that from, like, DNA and, like, I'm trying to think of the word. like the- um, it, It's from remains. Um, yeah. Like, stuff, uh, like, animal remains found. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Side. But also t- tartar that's still on their teeth. Yeah. Um, and uh, poo. They find poo sometimes. That's crazy to me. <laughs> yes, that, that one is really crazy. Yeah. Just generally speaking, it is crazy to me how much they can infer and, in, like, from just, like, artifacts that they find. And, like, I understand that a lot of it maybe is theory, but, like, the fact that you can find an object in the ground and extrapolate from there is fascinating to me. Um, One of my favorite things about archaeology is for years like someone will be very certain like yes they use this for this ceremonial purpose and that's why it looks like this and then we find something like 50 years later that's like oh it was a toothbrush oh not for a ritual at all (laughs) there was a section about potential cults that rose up in neanderthal society but fascinating yeah it was so many quotation marks and we think that i (laughs) maybe i'll do a mini sometime not in the near future because my brain hurts but that is neanderthal's I hope it makes more sense now. I hope I helped. Please don't cite me in your school papers. Oh, God, no. Go to the Smithsonian. They know what they're talking about. All right. Um, I have to close the show. Uh, do you remember how to do that? It's been a while. If you are a Neanderthal, uh, you can <laughs> tweet us uh, or message us on Instagram. We're there at Afternoonified. Um, you can also go to our website, getafternoonified.com, where you can buy merch and donate and I other stuff I'm sure remember to rate subscribe review and all of that fun stuff and uh we'll see you next time with a topic that's less dense I hope to god but it's Sarah's responsibility so I also don't care oh god no pressure goodbye goodbye we love you love the bachelor franchise ah the romance the adventure the drama but do you also kind of hate the bachelor franchise oh yeah the sexism the racism the intense heteronormativity of it all here at date card we're just two obsessed queerdos who love to dissect talk shit and get blocked by problematic contestants yeah we're here for the good the bad and the chad of it all you can find us on soblo media itunes and spotify please Please accept accept this rose. rose
for more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.